The Messages, a podcast of First Baptist Church of Laurel, Maryland, teaching you to love God, love our neighbors, and love the nations. Here's Pastor Brent Brewer. Today we're going to talk about how does work relate to God. How does work relate to God? So let's, let's say that um, you work 40 to 50 hours a week, uh, unless you are a parent of a small child or a mother of a small child, then you work about 13,000 hours a week, right? And, uh, but for the rest of you, 40 to 50 hours a week, uh, 50 weeks out of the year. Uh, let's say you work from your mid-20s to your mid-60s, about 40 years. The average person is going to work between 2,000 and 2,500 hours this year, and in your lifetime, between 80,000 and 100,000 hours of your life is going to be spent at work. So uh, we're going to ask this question today, how does work relate to God? How does work relate to God? So before we look at some principles from Proverbs, I want to establish in the first part of this sermon, I want to establish a a biblical pattern for work. Uh, Now this can include, you might say, well, I'm retired, or we have kids in here. Uh, Some of you eight-year-olds don't have a job yet. You need to get one. Um, But uh, I I want to establish a biblical pattern for work. Um, This can include your job, this can include uh, volunteering at church, serving here, volunteering at a nonprofit, parenting your children. It's, it's basically like whatever, whatever work you have to do. So here's some biblical principles. First of all, how should we view work? Since God works, work is godly. Since God works, work is godly. Uh, to be godly is to follow God's example. So as, as you read in the book of Genesis, Uh, The first book of the Bible, it says that everything there is the result of God's work. What do we find there? God made the heavens and the earth. Uh, God made man in his likeness and image. Because God works, work is godly. It's a godly thing to work. So what we see in Genesis is six days God worked, then on the seventh day he rested. That's where we get our seven-day work week. Here's a second thing that I want to bring to you. Work is now cursed. Work is now cursed. It says in Genesis, our first father Adam, God made him, put him in the garden, allowed him to work. He has a job to do. Then as you're reading through Genesis, you go to Genesis chapter three, sin enters the world and work becomes tough. It says now that there are thorns and thistles, what that means is whatever you're trying to grow, there's always going to be weeds to pull and there's always going to be obstacles to overcome. So here's what all of that means. You will never get your work done. That's what that means. You will never get your work done. So how many of you still haven't learned this? Uh, You cleaned out your inbox. You're like, I'm caught up on all my emails. Then someone sends a group email out that everybody auto replies to and shuts down your internet, right? Um, It always works that way. Mom, what happens uh, when you finally get all the dishes clean? Huh? Your kids are starving. They they, they say, I want something to eat. They go in the kitchen. They make a big mess. What happens, Mom, when you finish all the laundry? Like all the laundry's caught up. And here's what's going to happen. There is a a cosmic connection that happens. Like you're going to shut the final drawer, and your kid is then going to get diarrhea, right? It's inevitable. Um... You're like, I just, I just did all the laundry, but it triggered some release valve in your child. Um, 
you will never get all of your work done. So some of you keep working while thinking, well, as soon as I overcome the curse, I'll rest. Well, can I just clue you in here? You're gonna stand before Jesus and apologize if that's your way of doing life. You're never going to get all of your work done. So here's a third principle. Your work is part of your worship. I'm gonna say that again. This is really important because we're like, well, I work and on Sundays I worship. No, 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 you're all messed up. Uh, your work is part of your worship. We are not just like worshiping here today. When you go to work tomorrow, you're gonna be worshiping God there as well, both equally pleasing in his sight. Now, I, I wanna give you a case study. I wanna talk for just a moment about the most perfect worker ever in the history of the world. Do you know what his name was? Yeah, his name was Jesus. And Jesus Christ, do you know what he did? He spent the first 90% of his life, the first 30 years, doing what? Working at a job. What kind of job? Yeah, he was a carpenter. His dad's a carpenter, so when he's a boy, he has his chores. That's his work. Then he starts learning the family business, and the family business was carpentry. He's not casting out demons. He's not preaching, he's not walking on water, he's not raising the dead, he isn't doing any of those things. You know what he's doing? He is making tables. He's making tables. So God came to earth and he made a table. You're like, uh, doesn't, uh, doesn't he have more important things to do? The point is this, we don't just need preachers, we need plumbers. And we don't just need missionaries, we also need people in the medical field. It's all of the Lord, it's all good and glorious work. And so what Jesus did, the first 90% of his life, was just as honoring and glorifying to God as it was when he had a career change around the age of 30 from a carpenter to a minister. Preaching and teaching and casting out demons, all that stuff he did, what he did before that was just as important. He was doing the work he was supposed to do. It's not like that stuff is bad, this stuff is good. See, all of life can be an act of worship. Which brings me to this. Work is not sacred and secular. Workers are sacred and secular. I want you to let that percolate a little bit. Work is not sacred and secular, workers are. You know, some Christians, they have this ideology of dualism. In other words, there are uh, good jobs for the Lord, and then there are secular jobs. You know, every church, I, I praise God for, for, for men who feel called to ministry, who feel like, yeah, I'm called to ministry, but everywhere I go, somebody will come up to me and said, uh, hey, Pastor Brent, I feel like I'm called to ministry. And what I wanna say to them, wrong. You are already in the ministry. You don't have to get a pastor job. You already have a job in ministry. Minister wherever you're at. And so, if you're belonging to Jesus, everything you do is part of your ministry. So jobs are not secular and sacred. Work is not secular and sacred. Workers are secular and sacred, right? So I want you to think for a minute. In the Bible, there's a whole lot of jobs listed in the Bible. 
And God says these are God-honoring jobs. You know what some of them are? It's not an exhaustive list, of course. Here are some viable vocations that God honors. Carpentry, tent making, fishing, farming, medicine, teaching, politics, metalwork, music, investing, labor, construction, law and legal matters, consulting, cooking, architecture, athletics, entertainment, banking, military service, real estate dealings, clothing manufacturers, mothering, fathering, sales. All of that is in the Bible. Your work can be worship. That is a Christian view of work that is distinctly Christian. And as a result, we come to this verse that Matthew read a little bit ago, Colossians 3, 23 and 24, if you have your Bible still there. It says, whatever you do, whatever that is, do it from the heart. Something done for the Lord, not for people. Knowing that you will receive the reward of inheritance from the Lord, you serve the Lord Christ. Do you know what that verse is saying? That above your boss is your boss's boss, capital B boss. And his name is Jesus Christ or God. And as a result, if I have a hard time, maybe you have a hard time being motivated by your boss, you can serve your boss's boss. So what that means is whatever you're doing at home, you're working at home, volunteering somewhere, working a job, whatever you're doing, ultimately you are devoted to your love for, following the example of Jesus Christ. Now, can I ask you a couple questions? Think of it this way. If Jesus was your boss, would you show up late for work? Probably not. How many of you, if Jesus was your boss, you wouldn't spend half the day watching cat videos on YouTube and playing Fortnite? You're like, well, well I wouldn't do that. Then don't. Um, would you steal from Jesus? if he was your employer? You're like, probably not, I hope not. So for the Christian, our allegiance is ultimately to Jesus. That is a benefit and a blessing to our employer. So that means we're gonna work hard, we're not gonna steal, we're gonna show up, we're not gonna waste time because this is unto the Lord Jesus. Because the boss can't always see, but the boss's boss always does, right? So I learned this like one of my first jobs. Um, I was a young guy, like 19 years old. I worked at Wendy's. I work fast food. So some of you come to me and say, uh, I don't work fast food. I'm like, well, I did. That's where I started. I worked, uh, I worked at Wendy's from nine to 2.30. I got off that shift and I went across town and I worked the other Wendy's from three to nine. So uh, I smelled like a grease pit when I got home. My mother was like, jump in the washing machine, like all of you, right? But I remember working that job, and uh, I remember like when the district manager showed up. Do you know what everybody did when the district manager showed up? They like started to like really, really work hard. And uh, the bottom line is though, if that's you, it's your job, like man, I don't work hard till the big boss comes. Well, guess what? The big boss is Jesus, and he's God, and he sees everything that you do. So as I was a young man, I kid you not, I was walking with Jesus, I was young, I was flipping hamburgers for Jesus. I was throwing those things over, I was working as hard as I could, like I'm doing this for Jesus. And uh, when I had to go out and sweep the parking lot uh, every morning, I did that for Jesus. 
And when I had to clean the windows all the way around the restaurant, every morning I had to do that, I did that for Jesus. Because it wasn't like the boss was watching, but the boss's boss, Jesus, I wanted to honor him, please him, and so I knew he was like, he was like watching like everything I was doing. So this is a biblical view of work. So now I wanna talk about how do we win at work. I'm gonna put a picture up on the screen. Uh, this is a guy I read some. His name is Patrick Lencioni. Lencioni writes a lot on leadership. I don't know if Lencioni's a Christian or not. Uh, here's a book he wrote. I'm gonna talk a little bit about it today. It's called The Ideal Team Player. So I recommend this to you. And uh, what Lencioni does is he lists some things in this book that are priorities about how to win at work. And he basically comes to the same conclusions that we are gonna look at in the book of Proverbs. And so I wanna look at Lencioni's book for the rest of our time through the lens of Proverbs. And what he ultimately says is to win at work requires a great team. Here's the principle. A team always beats a superstar. So let me ask you all this question. Who is the greatest basketball player in the history of the world? Who is it? Wow, you all are so convincing. Yeah, it's Michael Jordan, right? And um, so I want you to think about this. Um, Michael Jordan in his prime versus a mediocre high school team. Who wins? No, it's not Michael Jordan because you can't inbound the ball to yourself. It's a, it's a violation, all right? So Jordan can never inbound the ball to himself. It's a violation, all right? So uh, the team, the team is always gonna win. Um, a team beats a superstar. Like, you can have a superstar without a team, you're not gonna do well. You can have a team with a superstar that does well. You can have a team with a superstar that's really like the best case scenario. So when we open the Bible, we immediately notice a team. Here's the team. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We call that the Trinity. We see them working together in creation. We see them working together at Jesus' baptism. We see them working together at redemption. God works as a team. But not only does God work as a team, he also like works through human teams. God is always about, all, all about getting work done through team building. And so Lencioni in his book, and Proverbs as well, talks about what makes a great team player. He gives three things, I'm gonna give them to you. First of all, you need to be humble. A humble team player, a humble team player. Proverbs 3, 7 says this, don't be wise in your own eyes. See, that's arrogance, that's judging yourself by yourself, which the Bible says is unwise. And then it says this, fear the Lord and turn away from evil. What he's saying is, everything begins with you honoring God's authority over your life. So what that means is you and I are not independent, we are dependent. Ultimately, you aren't in authority, you are under his authority. And those who, who do not understand this have an impossible time being a helpful, viable, contributing team member. Because once we bring ourselves under the lordship of Christ and the authority of God over our life, it allows you to do whatever God asks and you accept his will. Now, let me ask you this question. None of us, none of us are humble, right? 
What a bunch of proud people in this church. Uh, none of us are humble, right? Good, some of you still aren't convinced. We're praying for you that Jesus comes and saves you, all right? Um, none of us are humble. None of us can say something like this. I am so humble, I've kept a record of all my humble deeds that I am so proud of. Let me share them with you. None of us can say we've arrived at humility. We all have pride, we need to seek humility. And as we seek humility, it allows us to be a follower. Of whom? To be a follower of God's authority, the authority that God has placed over us. That means like children, we got a lot of children in here. Today, children honoring your mother and father. It also means honoring employers, honoring government. Like the Bible talks about these things. So do I only show honor to authorities that I agree with? Yes or no? Yeah, some of you, this is a good lesson for you. Uh, no, because like this week, like I paid my taxes this week, and I had to write a check this week to the comptroller of Maryland. Now, did I say to them, did I say, you know, I really didn't wanna write it, it wasn't with joy that I did it, but I did it out of obedience, and I didn't put a note in there saying, what is this money being used for? I didn't do that. Um, but I did it out of, out of obedience. I did it out of honor. So we honor people, even authorities that we may not agree with. Proverbs 27, 18 says this, whoever tends a fig tree will eat its fruit, and whoever looks after his master will be honored. So you're working, you have a master, and it says if you look after your master, you'll be honored. And here's the principle, honor goes up, Blessing comes down. For example, children again, you're to honor your father and mother that it may go well with you. You may have an enjoyable life. So honor your parents. Honor goes up, children. Blessing comes down. See, if you honor those in leadership over you, blessing will come down. If you honor God's authority, he'll send blessing down to you. This doesn't mean you can't disagree. This doesn't mean you can't make changes. But you do so in a way that's honorable because the ends don't justify the means. Both matter in the sight of God, right? The ends and the means. So how are you doing at honoring? If you're struggling with honoring, maybe there's pride in your heart, and I would ask you, please pursue humility. Here's what Proverbs 15:22 says, plans fail when there's no counsel, but with many advisors they succeed. A humble person says, I don't know it all. I got a lot to learn. How many of you are like, I teach, but I don't learn? I've actually had some Christians tell me this from time to time. I don't need to learn theology, the study of God. I know it all. I'm like, wow, you know everything about God. Let me sit at your feet and bow. Because I don't know about you, every time, like I've been studying the Bible for 40 some years, faithfully, and every time I read the Bible, at least almost every time, there's something in there that teaches me, that helps me, that I can learn from. And I can learn from other people when I hear you talking about the Bible and Scripture, which is God's Word. It helps me. Some people say, like, I'm always the professor, not the student. Then you're going to find yourself in real trouble. Uh, we call those the teenage years, right? 
know-it-all. What he's talking about here is humble people see life as a classroom, and class is always in session. So let me, let me ask you this. Let me learn from that. I'm trying to figure out how to do this. I don't know everything. Like, I need help. That's what a humble person says. Here's a quote on humility I wanna give you. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. Humility is thinking of yourself less. You know, we're always thinking about ourselves, aren't we? Instead, we should be saying, you know, I need to think about God. I need to be thinking about other people. What do they need? What do they think? What do they feel? See, humility doesn't cause you to think less of yourself, but think of yourself less, to open up opportunity to think about God and others. You know, our culture, our culture's all about pride, isn't it? Have you ever been to the Humility March? Have you been there? Uh, you know, I, I've never seen that. Hey, we're, we're all part of the Humility March, we're here to learn, and we're here to say we're the problem. I've never seen that. That's because in our world what's valued is pride. You know what's valued in the kingdom of God? Humility. How do we know this? Look at the Lord Jesus. He was ruling and reigning from a throne over a kingdom in heaven surrounded by angels. He came down to be born to a teenage mother in a rural town and his first bassinet was a feeding trough. And his first job was carpentry with his dad. That's humility. Our God is humble. Our God values humility to those who seek and pursue it. Do you know the first person to have pride was? Who was that? Satan. God cast him out of heaven because pride can't be in the presence of a humble God. Satan brought pride to this planet. And then Jesus came down and he brought humility with him. One way to think of this is this way. When we choose pride, we bring hell up. When we choose humility, we bring heaven down. See, that's the principle. If you're humble, you're gonna be a better team player. We all could use a dose of humility, couldn't we? Myself included, we all need that. But here's the second thing a good team player does is they are a relationally smart team player. Relationally smart. Uh, Lencioni in his book talks about smart. He's not talking about IQ, he's talking about EQ. You can be smart and not wise. There's a difference between smart, like how, your IQ, how smart you are, and EQ, how are you in relation with other people? These people, we say it in our day and age, learn to play well in the sandbox of life. You ever put your kids in a sandbox? Uh, you don't think kids are sinners, watch them play, right? Uh, there's, always like, there's always like one kid in the sandbox who's like, this is for your eyes. Um, another kid's like, I'm gonna shove this down your mouth. Maybe another kid is, I'm gonna shove this in your diaper. I'm gonna pour sand like all over your head. You're like, uh, you know, that kid doesn't play well in the sandbox. Um, there are people who play well in the sandbox of life. They're sympathetic, empathetic, compassionate, considerate of others. Uh, Proverbs 14, 16 says this, a wise person is cautious, turns from evil, but a fool is easily angered and is careless 
A quick-tempered person acts foolishly, and one whose schemes is hated. You see all the potential teammates there? Like they're evil, they're foolish, they're hot-headed, they're duplicitous, they're political. Like, like these people get on teams, right? And sometimes they're like the leader of the team. So what do we do to combat that? Fear the Lord. See, if we fear the Lord, it'll take us from foolish to wise. If we fear the Lord, it'll take us from evil to godly. If we fear the Lord, it will take us from being quick-tempered to long-wicked. You will not be one who blows up explosively. See, your relationship with God helps you straighten out all other relationships. If your relationship with God is not healthy, you can't have healthy relationships because the first relationship is the precedent for all of your other relationships. Here's what Proverbs 19:26 says, the one who plunders his father and evicts his mother is a disgraceful and shameful son. You know, to get to know someone's character, um, here's a test, look at how they treat their family. Um, one of the mistakes I've made in the past, like I've been a pastor for a long time, like 27 years, I've been a pastor, I've hired lots of people to work for me, probably like 50 people or so in my lifetime. One of the mistakes that I made in the past is I would hire quickly and fire slowly. Now I've reversed course. I will hire slowly and fire quickly. Why? Because it takes time to get to know someone. How do you get to know someone? In part by seeing how they treat their family. So when we look for pastors or we look for elders here in the congregation, like we're gonna ask them some hard questions. And those questions are, do they love their wife? Does their wife love them? Do they love their kids? Is it a healthy relational environment? So when I look at a future elder or pastor in our church and they're sitting there and I'm in their home or, or I'm having a meal with them and their wife and the husband's talking and the wife is sitting over in the corner not afraid to say anything because she's afraid of her husband. He's like a big bad wolf or something. And she's afraid. I'm like, oh, this is an unhealthy relational environment. See, that's important because why? Because it says here, if you'll rob from your mother or your family member, you'll rob from your employer. So if we don't do well in the family, we aren't going to do well in the church family. Here's another verse, I don't think it'll be on the screen, it's Proverbs eleven thirteen. Gossip, this is good for team members. Gossip goes around revealing a secret, but a trustworthy person keeps a confidence. Here's what he's talking about. He's saying a good team member is someone who is like an informational bank vault. You know what a bank vault is? You go take some money to the bank, they put it in the vault, what do they do? They put it in there and they seal the thing, don't they? It's not coming out. You know, there are some people in this world, you tell them any kind of information, it stays there. They don't spread it. Uh, we need some people in our lives that are like bank vaults, not a gossip, not a busybody. You know what a busybody and a gossip likes to do is amass information. Let me tell you about them. You tell me about them. I'm collecting data. I'm sharing data. But to be a good team member, there are things that you need to hold and not communicate. Like, and I don't care if it's a prayer request. Like, pray for Sally. I don't know there's Sally here today. But pray for Sally. Her husband is cheating on her and she doesn't know about it. Pray for them. You know what I say to that person? Pray for yourself, you gossip, right? Um, 
You know, a good line that I like is this, it's not my news to tell. So somebody comes up to you and says, uh, is so-and-so pregnant? I don't know. It's none of my business, go ask them. If they wanna tell you, they'll tell you, because that's their news to tell. It's not my news to tell. I think that's what a good teammate does. Here's what Proverbs 17, 14 says, to start a conflict is to release a flood. Stop the dispute before it breaks out. Every Christian ought to read this verse before logging into social media. Like social media is an IQ test that nobody is passing. Social media is an efficient way to start a quarrel. How do I know? Because I've done it. People will fight over anything, right? So let's say I go home right after church, I get on my social media page and I put this, Jesus loves people. Is that, is that fair enough to say? Jesus loves people. Well, somebody is gonna chime in and they're like, but Pastor Brent, what about puppies? Don't you love puppies? And then someone else will say, uh, what about cats? Cats are better than dogs. And here we go. All right, there are people who start quarrels and instigate. There are people that are contrarian, that pick a fight to prove their point. They're gonna put you in your place. What he says, it's like releasing a flood. Everything downstream is gonna be affected. It's ungodly, it's divisive. But a healthy relational team member says, I'm gonna drop the matter before it breaks out. This relationship matters more than the issue. I'm not gonna take all my time and energy and get everyone involved in this. I'm gonna drop it, I'm gonna walk away, and I'm gonna move on. So humble team member, relational team member, but here's the third one, the last one. A hungry, a hungry team player. Hungry. Maybe you're here and you're an employer and you're having trouble finding people to work. You know, everybody wants a paycheck, not everybody wants to work, right? It's hard to find people who are self-driven and self-motivated and self-aware that fuel their own fire. Proverbs 16, 26 says this, a worker's appetite works for him because the hunger urges him on. So in other words, like you got your stomach, it starts growling, like especially right now or during the day, it's noon, your stomach's growling, you're like, hmm, I'm hungry, I better fix that. But I don't have any food. Uh, I better get some food. Well, I don't have any money to get food. Well, it says a worker's appetite urges him on. In other words, it urges him on. To, I better go get some money. I better get a job. See, the Bible says if you don't work, you shouldn't eat. Hunger is a motivation. What he says, there are some people have this, have this innate hunger and drive. Proverbs 22, 29 says, you see a person skilled in his work, he'll stand in the presence of kings. What this says is uh, you're gifted at your job, you work real, 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 real hard, like somebody's gonna notice, someone's gonna help you, they're gonna give you a promotion perhaps because they see how you're working, they're seeing what you're doing. So self-motivated relational people. So I got a Venn diagram that I wanna show you real quick, two of them actually, here's the first one. Humble, hungry, smart, you see the ideal team player in the center. If you're in an ideal team player, you're gonna have all three of those. However, we all have weaknesses. So now I'm gonna get you a really confusing Venn diagram and you can study it while I'm talking. Um, same things, hungry, healthy, relational. Humble, hungry, and relational. Let's be honest, we have one thing to work on. Now I want you to notice this. If you're only humble, if you look at the top there, if you're only humble, um, you will be the pawn. What does that mean? You're gonna be sweet but naive. 
If you're only, if you're only smart, you'll be the charmer. You're fun, like you're the life of the party, but nobody has any respect for you. If you're a person who's hungry and lacks the other traits, you're a bulldozer. You get a lot done, but there's just so much collateral damage. Now, notice how we put all of these together. If you're humble and smart, you become like the lovable slacker. We can't fire Tom. He is so sweet. Nobody else will hire him. Then you're the lovable slacker. The person who's humble and they're a bulldozer, they don't have people smarts. They are the accidental mess maker. Listen, I was trying to get it all done, but I didn't know it killed everybody. It's not malicious, it's just painful. See, if you're people smart and hungry, but you lack humility, you become the skillful politician. You know how to get yourself on the board or into management and into leadership or control because you feel the organization is best served by you being as close to the top as possible. You know what that is? It's a lack of humility. So we all fall into one of those somewhere. I know where my weaknesses are, I'm not sharing, all right? Um, you can ask me offline if you want. Um, but here's what I wanna say. Christianity is different. Every other religion has works or duties or things to do. Before God tells us what to do, he does some things. He comes to work. He works for you. He works in you. He works through you. It's all God's work. And he tries to get us to move from all foolishness to wisdom. He says, how do you do that? By following Jesus. Jesus is humble, he came down, he lived without sin, he, he died on the cross for our sin, he did all the work for you to be forgiven and reconciled to God and live a new life. Jesus does all the work, you just need to trust him. That's God's work for you. Then he does a work in you. How does he do a work in you? The Holy Spirit. The third member of the Godhead comes, he takes up residence inside you to make you more like Jesus. And God does a work in you to change your desires and that leads God's work through you. Now you can love people. How do you love people that you used to yell at? How do you go to work with a smile? It changes how you work because your work is not just your worship now, your work is actually your witness. People are watching when you work, when you volunteer, they are watching. You want them to see God's work for you, in you and through you, so they can be encouraged to consider Christ. People come up to you and say, why do you work so hard? Why do you have so much integrity? Why don't you just lie like everybody else? Like, no, I don't do that because I've got Christ in me and who's working through me. See, your work is your worship, but your work then becomes your witness and it allows them to consider Christ. So last thing I wanna say, maybe you're new around here and uh, you're wondering like, what kind of church is this? Like, uh, what, what are these people like? I, I wanna say this honestly and, and very, very genuinely to you because I mean it with everything I have. If you're looking for a church, and I'm not just saying this because I'm standing here, I've been in lots of churches, good ones and bad ones. This church, First Baptist Church of Laurel, is a good team. It's a good team. If you wanna say, I wanna be in a church that's a good team. This, we're not a perfect team, trust me. Do we have weaknesses? Plenty of them, all right? Starting right up here, all right? But I wanna say, we are a good team. What does that mean? We pray for each other, we have each other's backs. 
Some of you experience that. Some of you know what it's like to be on a team that's not so great. This is a good team, and if you're part of the team, we are honored to have you. Some of you we'd like to invite on the team. We're always looking for new, especially good team members. Be part of the team. Some of you, though, need to get on Team Jesus before you get on Team First Baptist. Some of you need to repent of your sin and call out to Jesus by faith and get on his team first and then say, listen, I'm a Lone Ranger Christian. Get on the team. Get on the team. Get involved. Get in people's lives. And as your pastor, I wanna say thank you. Thank you for being a good team. Thank you for hanging in there. Thank you for loving other people. Thank you for for serving each other and serving the Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks for being a good team. Thanks for listening to the Messages Podcast, the First Baptist Church of Laurel. Want to get a hold of us or know more about us? Go to our website, fbclaurel.com. You can also connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Just use FBC Laurel. If you're in the Maryland, D.C., Virginia area, join us at one of our services on Sunday at 8 a.m., 1045 a.m. in English or Spanish. We look forward to connecting with you. The Messages.